Happy New Year. How we doing? Good? We are so glad you're here today. My name is Jason, and uh, I'm the pastor here at Hope City Church. And wherever you are in Shepherdsville, here in the room with us at South Louisville, or however you are a part of this service, we're just glad that we get to spend uh, a little bit of time together uh, as we start this new series called You Are where you are. Now, I've just got to be honest with you right up front. I don't know if the next couple of weeks are going to make any sense to anybody else but me, okay? It's just a risk I'm going to go ahead and take. Uh, But this is a phrase that I started saying uh, last year in 2018. And if you were to talk to to my wife, she would tell you that this phrase started just kind of coming to the surface uh, when we would talk about Ourself, or when we would talk about other people, I would find myself saying, well, you know, you are where you are. They are where they are. I am where I am. And, and really, the idea of this statement is, is that it is based on this idea of grace, just this idea of grace. Because I don't know about you, I can speak for me, uh, but it feels like every uh, place that I am in life every person that I'm supposed to be, everything that I'm supposed to represent, the people that I'm responsible for, the people that I report to, it feels as if in every avenue and in every lane, there is this expectation to be more, to do more, to get more done, to be more efficient. And the more efficient that I am, the more it frees me up to do more and to get more done. And so if I'm not careful, and again, I can only speak for me, I can't speak for you, but if I'm not careful, it feels as if um, there's this voice in my head and in my heart always telling me, you should be doing better. You should be doing better. And, and so something began to change for me last year when I began to accept the fact that I am where I am. I am where I am, and it's true for you, too, by the way, just so you know, this is not just about me. You are where you are. Did you know that? Right now, you are exactly where you are, and, uh, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You don't have to stay where you are. Uh, if you don't like where you are, you don't have to stay there, but it doesn't change the fact that you are where you are, and, uh, and so we're just going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks. I think it's a beautiful way to start the year. We could have called this series, we could have called these weeks, How to Give Yourself Grace Without Giving Up on Yourself, because that's the thought that's really been running around in my head for a while now, is, is it possible to give myself grace without giving up on myself? Because the only way we really know how to motivate ourselves is to talk down to ourselves. Have you noticed that? That you never decide to lose weight by saying, you know, I look pretty good, I could look a little better. That's not how you do it, is it? Because I'm fat. And you, you want to lose weight. You never decide to be a better parent by going, you know what, I think I'm a pretty good parent, but I could be a little better parent. That's not how you do it, is it? You say, I'm a terrible parent. My kids hate me, or whatever it is. You, you don't say, you know what, I am loving Jesus and spending time with God, but I could spend a little more time with God. No, that's not how we do it, is it? We say, you're a terrible person, you're a terrible Christian, God's so disappointed in you. If your money's not where you want it to be, you don't say, well, you know what, I am where I am, and I, I could change that. We say, you're such an idiot, right? We're always talking down to ourselves. We're always beating ourselves up, and we use guilt to to motivate ourselves to try 
and to get better. And here's why that's such a big deal, and here's why that's such a bad idea, by the way, is because the more that we talk to ourselves like that, the more we believe that's how God feels about us. We talk to ourselves that way, and we believe that's how God feels about us. And so we're mad at ourselves. We think God's mad at us. We're disappointed in ourselves. We think that God is disappointed in us. But none of that is true. Uh, none of that is true. Jesus knew what he was getting when he died for you on the cross, uh, and, 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 and you are where you are. And so I hope that as we start this year, that I, I just really hope that like, you'll decide to get that tattoo, uh, that you are where you are. And... Uh, <laughs> I am where I am, and, uh, and, and, and start to give yourself grace, and use grace to motivate you instead, instead of guilt. So uh, we're going to get this started today by talking about this idea of being better, being better. Um, a consistent theme with, with a year or, or, a new, or, or starting a new year is this idea of resolutions and goals, and I, and I love this, and a lot of us participate in this, but, but, uh, but the, the general theme around this idea of a new year is this idea that we need to get better. We need to get better. I, I would doubt that many of the goals or the resolutions in the room have to do with uh, going backwards or uh, they're all kind of themed around this idea of getting better, be a better parent, be a better spouse, be a better friend. Get in better shape, manage your money better, be a better Christian. It's all about improvement. It's all about being, it's all about being better. Here's the problem that we face is that our attempts to get better or to be better or to feel better require us to do more. It requires us to do more. It requires more commitments. It, download another app, right? More notifications. Get in another group. Sign up for another subscription. And so we say, well, I want to be better. I want to do better. I want to feel better. But to try to attain this, we take on more, do more, commit ourselves uh, to more. And it's really just about this idea of just being more efficient, really. It's, it's how can I get more done so that I can get more done? Right? If you really begin to think about what it is that motivates you and drives you, how do you get more done? And so people give you ideas and they try to help you so you can listen to a podcast while you exercise. You need to read more books this year, by the way, but don't worry, you can listen to the book while you run because you need to run more, by the way. So you can do both. Um, you can make the kids' lunches before you go to bed so that you can wake up earlier and get your exercise and Bible reading done, but the kids still get their lunch. You could do that. So stay up later and fix the lunches, get up earlier and get the stuff done you need to get done. <laughs> empty your email inbox before the workday really starts. So don't, em don't check email when work starts. Get the email done before work starts so that when work starts, you can actually do work. Eat healthier, by the way need to eat healthier, but make sure you eat in places that serve food that is kind to animals. It's farm to table. And, and make sure you eat places that'll serve you quicker. And make sure it doesn't cost that much and it doesn't take too long to cook so that you don't spend too much time eating food that's bad for you and costs you too much. Don't do that. 
Or, hey, listen, cook a meal at home. That's even better. Cook a meal at home, uh, but make sure you shop at the right grocery store to get the right food and make sure it doesn't take too long to cook and make sure it's healthy for your kids and make sure you're all around the table and make sure you have a conversation starter when you're around the table and make sure the technology is put up. Is anybody tracking with me? Hey, clean your house, but make sure the chemicals are right. Don't, don't use the wrong things that would harm your family. Here, here's the reality. Listen, we, we joke, but we laugh because we relate. The, 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 the reality is that adult has become a verb. Adult has become a verb. We actually have a name for it, adulting. Adulting, right? Be an adult, they said. It'll be great, they said. Like, adult has become a verb. And adulting is just completing a to-do list. Here's the problem. Everything goes on the list, and the list never ends. If you are really being honest with yourself, I would be curious to know what you do when you have nothing to do. Because if you're anything like me, you find something to do. And you add things to, to your list. We're told that the answer to being overwhelmed, burned out, stressed, depressed, and anxious is to take some time for you. It's called self-care. Take some time for you. Take a day off, sleep in, drink some coffee, read a book. Here's the reality of that. While we are doing that, we feel this need to let everyone know that we're not doing anything. <laughs> so in order to let them know, we feel this need to document doing nothing, to broadcast it. Is this making sense to anybody? It's, 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 we're never off. We never flip the off switch uh, for our lives. Things that should be enjoyable become uh, tasks to be completed or broadcast. Think about it. I mean, I really, let's, let's do some inner searching here for ourselves. So, so we don't just attend a wedding. We hashtag a wedding. We broadcast a wedding. We take a picture in the photo booth to take a picture with the phone to post it to let the people know that we were there. So now what's happened in our mind is it's not, I need to go to a wedding. This will be so enjoyable. It is, I need to let the world know that I'm at a wedding and let my friends who are getting married know that I was here and I support them and I'm happy for them publicly let them know in front of everybody else. Does that make sense, right? Attend a concert. I took Sadie to a concert the other day, and I, we were on about the sixth row. It was fantastic. You know what I noticed about rows five, four, three, two, and one? They are right there. I mean, they could reach out and touch the guy, and they're Facebook living it or broadcasting it or recording it. Why, why do we do that? And we all do that. Uh, I, I did that a little bit as well. Why do we do that? Because... It's not something to enjoy, it's something to capture, it's something to document, it's something to, to be on. We were there. I can show you that I was there, and I can show you what I was doing while I was there. Christmas with the family is not something that you just enjoy, 
It's a checklist of things that your kids have to experience. Read Christmas books, sing Christmas songs, go look at Christmas lights. Make sure that the secret elf shows up. Buy all the gifts on the list. Buy matching pajamas for Christmas Eve to take the picture for Christmas Eve. Cook a big breakfast. And if anybody in the room feels tired yet, great news. Just take a break and watch Netflix. But make sure you watch the whole season this weekend... Because there's spoiler alerts out there. You don't even get to watch it. You've got to finish it. Right? In in recent years, um, researchers have coined the phrase, the second shift, to describe uh, moms who work full-time jobs and, and then come home. So let me talk to the moms for just a second. Really kind of talking to the husbands and the dads, too, who have who are married to someone who is raising children and working a job. Um, But the second shift describes moms who work a full-time job and and still carry the bulk of the home responsibilities. Um, A recent study found that moms in the workplace spend as much time taking care of their families as stay-at-home moms did in 1975. But it's not just the labor that causes the burnout. It's not just the putting away the dishes or folding the laundry. It is the mental load, according to research, that you are the the household management project leader. And so it's the mental load uh, of taking care. So here's just some list of things that they they listed. You got to keep the entire family schedule in your mind. Remember to get the toilet paper because you notice that there's only a couple of Rolls left and you'll be out. Keep, keep up with the health of the family. Keep your sex life fresh with your husband, by the way. Develop a bond with your children. Make sure the bills are paid. Schedule a family photo for the Christmas cards. Take care of your aging parents. Plan a summer vacation and walk the dog. And if that all sounds like too much, ladies, great news buy a planner. But don't buy the wrong planner. And if you don't know how to use a planner, you can join a group to help you learn how to plan. And they only meet a couple of times. Is anybody following with what I'm saying this morning? We are driven by this incessant need to be better, to do better, to be more, to do more. And, and, and when we get it done, we don't then take the space and the margin to, uh, to just be. We, 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 what we've done is we've successfully figured out how to be able to do more and do more and do more and do more. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't need you to do better. He doesn't need you to do better. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 is, uh, is kind of a life verse for me. It's actually uh, hanging up on the wall upstairs in our team office on a big, big wall. It's, it's, a, it's a theme verse for this church. It kind of drives and motivates what we do and, and as Hope City Church. But uh, it's not on your sermon guide, but this is, this is what it says. Jesus said, come to me, 
You're like, oh, great. Something else I've got to go to. No, 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 no. Hang with me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. And honestly, like, I just don't even think we know how to rest. We'll get to that in a second. He says, take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and I am gentle at heart and you will find rest for your soul. If you are reading that in a way or or you want to make a note of that to find that when you read that later and mark that, rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give you, that Jesus gives you, is light. Here's the question I have for you. Before we, before we find an answer, is where else in life can you find rest for your soul? Even places and people that promise to help you find rest require you to do more in order to find the rest, to commit to more to find the rest, to sign up for more in order to find the rest. So where else can you go to find rest for your soul? I don't know of anywhere else but Jesus. Jesus gives us rest for our soul, and Jesus does not need us to do better or to be be better. The message of Jesus is not do more, be better. The message of Jesus is You don't have to be better. I'm going to say that again because we don't believe that that's true. The message of Jesus is not do more, be better. That's the message of the world. Do more, be better. The message of Jesus is you don't have to be better. That drive that you feel in your heart, that need to prove something to somebody... You don't have to do that for Jesus. Jesus gives us rest for our soul. And so here's what I want to do. For just a few minutes we have left, I want to share a story with you from 1 Kings 19. It's on your sermon guide that you got when you, when you came in. 1 Kings 19, it's about a guy named Elijah. And uh, this has just been a story for me that I've kind of brought with me into 2019. I shared this with our team a couple of days ago. And... The idea behind this is, is there's a man, Elijah, who is burned out, stressed out, depressed, anxious, freaking out. I mean, he is, he is he, he's not doing well. He's not doing well. And he decides that he wants his life to be over. I mean, he is, he is suicidal. He, he is, he's, he's done. He's empty. Now, what's interesting about this guy is he's a prophet of God. This is not... You know, this is not somebody in the category of wrong, evil people. This is a prophet of God. And and in chapter 18, by the way, uh, that we're not going to read, he has just destroyed enemies of God and prophets of Baal. This is a guy who has actually called down fire from heaven. That's how legit he is. He said to God, God, these people don't believe in you. Why don't you send some fireballs? And fireballs fell that's how legit he is. That's how close he was to God, how powerful his prayers were. But now he is, he is at the, just the bottom emotionally, depleted, stressed out, burned out, freaked out. 
And he runs and he tells God, God, I'm done. I got nothing left. I'm done. And God, in the story that we're going to read, uses five things in order to get him emotionally healthy. Five things to, to make his soul healthy. And I believe that these are the five, same five things that you and I need in order to, to find rest for our soul. I believe these are the five things that you and I need in order to be emotionally healthy as we go into this year. So I'm going to walk through these for you. 1 Kings 19, verses 3 through, um, through 19. We'll read some of this together, skip around a little bit. But Elijah is terrified. He's afraid. He runs for his life. It says, Elisha was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He left his servant there which is a bad sign anytime you're wanting to isolate yourself. Then, verse 4, he went on alone to the wilderness, traveling all day, going, 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 going. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now, listen, some of you have prayed that you would die, but some of you, it's not that you necessarily have prayed to die, but you definitely spend a lot of time thinking about, wouldn't it just be amazing if I could just leave all of this and get away from all of this, and, and, and uncommit from all of this. And some of you who are parents have thought, I love my children, but how amazing would it be if I could just walk away from all of this? And you love your spouse, but you think, how amazing would it be if I could just walk away from all of this? Maybe you don't want to die physically, but you're done emotionally, right? He says, I might die, I've had enough. Maybe you've thought that. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. He's using this guilt, right? who have already died. Verse 5, then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. He lay down and he slept under a broom tree. This is the first thing that God uses to get Elijah back to a healthy place, and it's not what you think he would use. If you and I were describing God, God would use a sermon. God would use a church service. God would use a book, uh, you know, uh, five ways to be emotionally healthy. Read this, listen to this, go see a counselor, all those things, find things. That's not what God does. The first thing that God does for Elijah, who is stressed out, burned out, freaked out, uh, done, is a nap. Number one is sleep. Write that down, sleep. The first thing that God uses to begin to get Elijah back to a healthy place is sleep. I mean, that does not sound spiritual at all, does it? Jesus is an advocate for naps. Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. It's interesting. You start looking through the Bible. We don't have time to do it. But there was a night when, when the disciples were about to die because water was coming overboard a ship. And, and, and they go to find Jesus because they're freaking out. Like, surely Jesus is freaking out. You know what Jesus is doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. In the book of Acts, Peter was going to be uh, beheaded the next day for preaching the gospel, and he is sleeping between two Roman guards chained to them. He's asleep. I don't know how you would sleep. I, like you're going to die the next morning, and you're chained to two stranger men, and he's asleep. He's asleep. There's, there's all kinds of examples that we could use that one of the signs of your emotional health and your soul health is your ability to sleep. 
Science and research tells us that people who get at least eight hours of sleep are twice as likely to be able to solve problems and, and to see uh, and to, to break situations down. That as you sleep, your brain actually creates neuropaths with at least eight hours of sleep. Science and, and research have proven that if you pull an all-nighter, it is the equivalent of a 0.01 blood alcohol level. Is it 0.01? Is that right, Joe? We were reading that? That if you go a week with, le- like consistently every night for seven nights in a row, you get less than five hours of sleep. It's the equivalent of a 0.01 blood alcohol level. That, that the importance of rest and sleep. And so what an amazing thing about God that the first thing he uses to get Elijah back on the path of health and rest for his soul is a nap. Is a nap. Rest, sleep. Let's keep reading. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around there, and beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Second thing God used, good food. We hadn't even got to the church service yet. (laughs) He is sleeping and eating good. Now listen, the bread that they're talking about here is not like Texas Roadhouse, all right? This is not with the brown sugar butter, all right? This is... This is actually a, a nourishing meal. For, so this is not, you know, this is not Hawaiian rolls, okay? These, this is a meal that is replenishing and nourishing, and I'll show you why in just a second. But the food that he puts into his body nourishes him. Let me just go ahead and show you. If, if, you, if you look down, um, verse 8, it says, He got up, ate, and drank the food, gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. So the food that he was eating was giving him strength. So I'm, listen, I don't have the moral authority to get up here and talk about a ton about nutrition, but I just want you, uh, you need to ask the question, is the food that you're putting in your body giving you strength or stealing your strength, right? And so as God is beginning to get Elijah back to emotional health and strength, he uses a nap, sleep, and good food. This doesn't sound or feel very spiritual, but it's incredibly spiritual, Resting in what you put in in your body. What you, you, what you put in your body affects how you think, how you feel. And how you think and how you feel determines, you know, what you do. So number two is, was, was good food. Verse seven, then an angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse six, get up and he looked around. So he ate, there we go, at the end of verse six. So he ate and drank and laid down Again, number three, more sleep. (laughs) This is the Bible. I'm not making this up. It's right there. How can we get Elijah who is freaked out, burned out, you know, just just losing it? How can we get him? God's going, I got to get Elijah back. How can I get him back? A nap, a meal, a nap. Back-to-back naps was God's strategy. Everybody still with me? Okay. And so he lay down again. Then an angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. And the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank the food and gave him enough strength. We'll just kind of categorize that with number three. So he, it's, more, it's, it's more rest, more rest. And by the way, let's just say this. Just because you are doing nothing doesn't mean you're resting. Like, just because you're laying in bed looking at your phone, that's not rest. Just because you're, like, zoned into Netflix is not rest, right? 
Resting is things that replenish you and, and things that, that fill you back up. So you could actually be doing something but being replenished, but, but specifically the idea of sleep, but then just the idea of resting, right? Um, so he, he got up and he traveled, he traveled uh, 40 days. Skip down to verse 11. God and him are having this conversation. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in, that, in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper, verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Number four, experiences with God. How can we get our soul healthy? How can we find rest for our soul? Sleep, good food, more sleep, more rest. But if all you do is rest and eat good, you will just be a rested, in shape, miserable, lost person. That, that there ha you have to have experiences with God. So it's interesting that after God gets him physically well, he then starts working on his spirit and him and Elijah start having a conversation. Yeah. It's interesting. There was an earthquake, but God wasn't in that. Not because God's never in earthquakes, because there was earthquakes for Moses. There was fire. Not that God's not in fire, because there was fire for Moses. There was a mighty wind. Not that God's never in wind, because there was wind in the book of Acts. But in this moment, it's almost as if God was saying to Elijah, you don't need more hype. You don't need more roar. You don't need more... You know, everything in your life is about getting your senses up and your hype up and all that stuff. I just want to I just want to just whisper. I just want to kind of speak to your soul and speak to your heart and and just like I, I want to lower your heart rate, not raise your heart rate. And I believe the same is true for everyone in this room, everyone who's watching. That that God wants us to slow down enough to be able to hear a whisper, to disconnect enough to hear a whisper. And so they have this conversation, and, uh, and God tells them some things to do, and, uh, and one of the things that God tells him to do is in verse 16, some weird names here, just bear with me. It says, then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel, let's go with Mahola, to replace you as my, my prophet, verse 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. This is number five. This is friendship. Friendship. Elijah tells God, if you go back and read the story, Elisha, Elijah tells God, I'm the only one left. I've got nobody Nobody cares as much as I do. Nobody loves God as much as I do. He's throwing a massive pity party. He's all by himself. Remember, he left his servant. He's out in the wilderness. He's by himself. You tell yourself stupid stuff when you're by yourself, by the way. If you never say anything out loud, it makes so much sense, but it's, it's dumb what you say to yourself. And so God says, here's what I want you to do. Rest. Put good things in your body. Rest some more. Have experiences with me and go find a friend. Go find a friend. 
And I, I, you know, I don't know how this, I don't know how you're hearing this, but I, being a church guy, being raised in church, I know some of you, that's not your story, but for those of us, that is our story, and maybe you weren't, but you have these preconceived ideas about God, we can think that the way that God, the, the strategy that God wants to use in order to get us, you know, back on the straight and narrow, back in the good places, lightning bolts, and, 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 and loud, you know, and, and a lot of hoopla, and, and, and angry preachers, and, you know, whatever it is. And there are times when the dynamics change and, we, and different things happen. But I just believe that what may be the most important message that we need to hear today, all of us, as we enter into this new year and we're trying to motivate ourselves and we're trying to be better and to do better, and maybe the most important thing that we could hear today is you don't have to do any better. You don't have to do better. Not for Jesus. Maybe for yourself. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to kill motivation. Some of you in here, you're driven, and I don't want to take that away. But we are so scared. that The idea for this series has come out of the fact that we are terrified that, that if we give ourselves grace, we'll just give up. We're terrified by the idea that if we're not down on ourselves, we'll never be driven to improve. That grace could never motivate us and it to, prove, to improve. I don't believe that's true. I just believe we've conditioned ourselves that way. You don't have to do better. Not for Jesus. Jesus says, just come to me. Are you tired? Come to me. Are you weary? Come to me. Does everything that you're responsible for that's sitting on your shoulders feel too heavy? Come to me. And I will give you rest for your soul. God got Elijah healthy again, but he didn't do it through these channels that we would think that he would do it. He did it through sleep, good food, more sleep, experiences with God, and friendship. And what if we just decided going into this year that that's, that's the five things we're going to prioritize? I'm going to sleep more. I'm going to eat a little better. Not because of my weight, but because of my soul. I'm going to sleep some more. I'm going to have a day I don't set the alarm clock. I am going to spend time with Jesus, not so I can check it off a list, so I can find rest for my soul. And I'm going to find some people that replenish me. I'm going to find friends that encourage me. I'm going to find friends that, that fill me back up when life has taken it out of me. And I believe we do those five things. We don't have to worry about improvement. It will take care of itself. Here's what I wrote down for me, and we'll end with this. I don't have to improve to get God's approval. I don't have to improve to get God's approval.